Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I am Laura Carfang, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of Breast Cancer Conversations. I am so glad you're here. I don't know about you, but I am dying from all of the allergies in the air right now. I feel like I have puffy eyes, a runny nose, sneezing congestion, blah, blah, blah. So I say all of this in advance of our podcast because I know sound and audio are at the heart of what we do. So with all of that aside, if you're going through major allergies right now, I totally relate. I also encourage you to sign up for our weekly newsletter. You could do so directly on our website at survivingbreastcancer.org because I don't want you to miss out on all of the amazing events and programming that we have coming up. For example, we have our Thursday Night Thrivers meetup where every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, we hang out on Zoom and just kind of shoot the shit to be perfectly frank. There's no agenda. We talk about breast cancer and we talk about life. It's a really great time. We are also hosting writing workshops. We got some poetry slams coming up. We have our Movement Mondays, NBC series webinars on Sundays, plus our book club that meets on the first Sunday of every month. So there's amazing ways to get involved, connect with each other, and really support each other as we're going through a breast cancer diagnosis. If there is a topic that you would like us to explore further, either on our blogs or on our podcast, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to send me an email with your ideas. I can be reached at Laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Today on Breast Cancer Conversations, I am so pleased to be speaking with the amazing Zilka. She's originally from Germany, living in Northern California, and shares her amazing experiences over the last couple of years managing a breast cancer diagnosis. Today, we talk about going from stage two to stage four. Yes, it is a recurrent story, but there is hope. Because what we talk about is how Zelka was able to leverage social media, specifically Twitter, where she posted about her personal experience, was able to connect with a doctor and get placed on a clinical trial where she is having an amazing response. Welcome to the conversation. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on this podcast. I love what you're doing for the community and for people that are freshly diagnosed and and for those that are further along and struggling. I was born in Germany, West Germany at the time, right behind the um, wall. I mean, in front of the wall from our direction. I studied engineering in Germany and I did an internship in Connecticut with United Technologies. When I was done with my studies, I went to the U.S. again for what I thought was a three-year stint in Michigan. And now it's like 26 years later. Tell me a little bit about when you were first diagnosed with breast cancer. I believe that was in 2013 for you. We were hanging out with a friend of ours and the guy started talking about something I wasn't really interested in. So I kind of absentmindedly had my hand like on my chest and, and I mean, I wasn't grappling my boobs, but I felt something, <laughs> I felt something and I'm like, oh my God, this doesn't feel right. And it was like, I mean, I was lucky it was up on top of my left breast and I just, ran inside and ran to the um, bathroom and checked it out there. And I was just completely freaked out. And then the next day I went to my primary care doctor and 
they looked at it and they're like, ah, oh, it's movable. It's probably nothing, but we'll do a mammogram, you know, just to be certain. So then they tried to get me a mammogram. It was something like three weeks out. I'm like, no, I have this thing in my breast. I need this checked out. So I essentially went into the office where the mammogram was to be held and I said, you know, I'm going to sit here until you do a mammogram on me because I'm not going to wait three weeks to get an appointment. So, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the attention and I got a mammogram the same day. They needed to do ultrasound. I'm like, okay, I'm here, do that. And they did the ultrasound and then the radiologist came in and it's like, well, we need to do a biopsy. And I'm like, well... How about we do it now? Oh, no, you know, you have to go out and reschedule. I'm like, I'm not leaving. You're doing a biopsy. <laughs> oh, my God. So essentially the day after I found the lump, I had the everything done, including the biopsy. And um, a few days later, the super nice radiologist called and said, yeah, I just wanted to let you know it's it's breast cancer. But I was really left hanging there. And in retrospect, you know, it, it was so frustrating when I had early cancer that I really didn't have a plan. The primary physician, she just said, oh, you need to go to, a, to see a breast surgeon. I'm like, don't I need to see an oncologist as well? No, no, no. You first go see the breast surgeon. and um, But then, you know, in the end, I ended up seeing an oncologist before my surgery. I mean, as far as that goes, it all turned out really, really well. I had, um, I decided to have a bilateral mastectomy because I didn't ever want to have a mammogram again. And because I wanted to be symmetric. <laughs> so, so, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you don't have a better survival benefit from having a mastectomy. It wasn't about that for me at all. It was just like, I, I just can't deal with this anymore. And my breasts before were super painful. And, you know, for at least a week, if not two weeks a month, they were so sensitive to touch. My um, plastic surgeon was amazing. And I also was really lucky that um, it all turned out well. I had zero complications. I have really good looking boobs now. Not that it matters, but they actually feel better than before. I know so many women who are like, oh, I wish I had done that. But um you know, it's it it was what was right for me back then, and it's still right now. And I got lucky that it worked out so well. Then my onco score was really low. I didn't do um, chemo because the survival rates were about the same with chemo and without for my onco score. I would love to just kind of go back and pick through a couple of the details that you were explaining. I commend you also for being your own self-advocate and really pushing to get the mammogram and everything that day. But even before then, when you just put your hand on your chest as you were having this, you know, get together with um, your partner and friend, how did you know or did you know? It sounds like you were very self-aware that breast cancer 
could be a thing that it forms a lump that, you know, you you felt it right away and there almost was no second guessing. And I contrast that to a lot of other women, myself included, who really didn't know anything about breast cancer. And when I discovered my own lump, I actually asked, I asked my primary care about it. But, you know, I got the the words that we hear all too often, you're too young, it doesn't run in your family, it's nothing to be concerned about. So when the lump was there, I, in my head, rationalized it as, well, it's always been there. Like, it might be an ingrown hair, it might be something else, but like, it's always been there. It hasn't grown or shrunk, like, it's just a part of me. So, you know, I, I go back to now as we're promoting, like, what are the signs and the potential symptoms? And I understand that not all breast cancers show, like, with a you know, a lump or a dimpling or anything like that. There are some that are a little bit more sneaky. But tell me a little bit, like, how did you, was breast cancer on your radar at all? Or were you exposed to Well, so in general, cancer was on my radar. In my family, there's just a lot of cancer on both sides. And I knew that my aunt on my father's side had um, a mastectomy in her 30s. I kind of also knew that his half-sister had breast cancer, but they weren't in contact. So I didn't really know what was um, happening there. Everybody in the family died of cancer. (laughs) And it wasn't even when the, the radiologist called, it wasn't even that I said, why me? I just said, it's a little bit early because I was 48 at the time, which is this weird in between. I know a lot of young women who find out after they have kids. And then other than that, I mean, isn't it an old woman's disease? Exactly, <laughs> right. That's what it has been chalked up to be over yeah. the years. Yeah. So I think that's one thing, too, that I want to linger a little bit on, too, on the podcast today is the success that you had with your surgery and not having complications and that you are ultimately happy with your reconstruction with the implants. I think similar, and I kind of chalk it up to like, you know, Yelp reviews. Like we always hear when surgeries don't go well. We always hear when people are very unhappy with their choices, et cetera. So I do want our listeners to be reminded that the success stories are out there and people do have really positive experiences with breast reconstruction. So I think that's wonderful. And I'm really happy to hear. Yeah, and I asked my um, I asked my plastic surgeon, and she, you know, because what's on her website doesn't actually look that great, you know, on her reconstruction. And she's like, "Yeah, I'll never put you up there. I have, you know, quite a few patients that have really good results, but if I put a really good result up there, then that." tells people it always is that way, you know, and I want to show them that there's a risk of it not going that well. And it's not in my hands. It's your body that decides, you know, it sucks or, or mm. it tolerates it well. So yeah, absolutely. And can I ask you too, what stage you were when you were originally diagnosed? Stage two. So, and it had spread to two lymph nodes, I think. So I had a few of them taken out. So, yeah. yeah. Now you go through your surgery, you're starting to heal. Um, what was going on in your life kind of after after all of this? Were you on any hormonal therapies or was that not necessary based on your characteristics of your cancer? Yeah, I was on tamoxifen for a year and then a study came out that said that um, 
early menopause and a remedex um, leads to better outcomes in my age group or yeah roughly in my age group and so we decided to switch to that which gave me in my year on tamoxifen was um was paradise i slept like a baby for the first time in my entire life because <laughs> oh. i've always been a bad sleeper it was awesome i really didn't have any side effects except for sleeping a lot um and and then the um what is it called zomate no not zometa zoladex shots um god they were awful and the arimidex i had so many side effects i had hot flashes that were after two weeks i went back to the to the oncologist and i'm like if this is how my life is going to be i'm want to die right now you know we mm-hmm. need to change something so we added effexor at a low dose and that helped with the hot flashes but man i still i was on fire and then i was in an ice cave and on fire i'm sure you all know what that is oh, so yeah That is my story. I'm on one of the other AIs, the uh, Letrozole, and I'm getting the mm-hmm. uh, a, a Lupron shot, which is similar to shut down yeah. the ovaries and also affects her as well to help with the mental health and the uh, hot flashes. So yes, spe- speaking, spe- uh, preaching to the choir right over here. Um, but it's horrible because I'll get out of the shower. I'm trying to get ready for work and I'm literally like toweling myself off. Like what's the point of yeah. putting on makeup because it's just going to melt anyway. <laughs> I I was on a flight back from Shanghai and my husband I was in the middle seat my husband was on one side and some poor dude was on the other side and I was literally ripping my sweatshirt off and putting it back on like in five minute cycles mm-hmm. was, I think the guy on my left was thinking she's nuts what the hell is <laughs> I know it's so hard to regulate and so did you ever were you concerned about recurrence were you of like, course yes yeah. totally totally I was always freaked out about uh about recurrence and people were like oh no you're good I'm like no I'm not good you know especially so I'm hormone positive and especially with that one as you know um it can come back at any time you know there's no such thing as the five years and you're good you know it can come back after 30 years there really isn't much you can do about it other than taking your um tamoxifen or ais mm-hmm. and hope for the best you know and live a healthy lifestyle which i've always done so i know I know. I feel like we try and have as much control as we can doing the things that we can do. I wish I would have freaked out about my sciatic pain that I had. But the problem is I had sciatic pain. I think I was in the ER the first time with like 25 because my my back essentially seized up and I couldn't move anymore. But in the end, the sciatic pain turned out to be not a slip disc but it was a tumor in my sacrum which pressed on my sciatic nerve so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anybody who's listening who had breast cancer before and has terrible back pain go get an mri <laughs> yes 100% get don't let things linger get things checked out preach it <laughs> well i wish 
I had had that. So I went to my um, oncologist, of course, for five years for the follow-ups. And each time I was like, shouldn't I have a scan? So what year is this when you finally went in for your MRI and to see that it, there was a lesion on your sacrum? How much that time was passed? 20, 2019. So it okay. was six years after the initial cancer. Tell me about that. What was going through your mind at that time? It came out of the blue and I essentially spent the next four weeks curled up in the shower, crying my eyes out. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was terrible. It was really, really terrible. Um, I mean, now it's a year and a half out and I only have occasional panic attacks. But yeah, the initial diagnosis was just horrid, horrid, horrid. So. Yeah. And are you on any treatment now? Oh, yeah, I'll be on treatment the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so I started off, you know, and my oncologist was like, oh, it's just in your bones. My new oncologist. Yes. It's just in your bones. There's these great CDK4-6 inhibitors. And, you know, you, you'll be fine. You know, you'll be fine for a long time. You're not going to die anytime soon. And so I um, started out on Ibrands or Palbocyclip and Fulvestrant and just went my merry ways. That bubble got burst really quick because five months in, I had a progression. So that, um, you know, I, I was, after, after getting more hopeful, I was destroyed again. So I had had um, genomic testing and I had the PI3 kinase mutation. Mm. And so I went on PICRAY, PICRAY with full restaurant. And it was a horrid, horrid, horrid drug. I was, I was sick. I had constant diarrhea. I was puking. I didn't want to eat. My husband, you know, he was really good he tried to get me to eat and I was just like uh yeah I'll have something and three forks in it just didn't work it was terrible but I was like as long as it helps you know I'll I'll do this because I want to live so this is the second progression within you know a year after being diagnosed metastatic so that was really soul crushing so I have this ESR1 mutation, um, Y5737S or something like that. And it's the reason why the full restaurant isn't working and or Fazlodex as its trade name is. And so I looked at every clinical trial there was my oncologist um, looked at a few clinical trials and most of them were already in the randomized phase where you would get either Palbo and Fulvestrand or Palbo and the new drug. And so I was like, you know, it's of no interest because I already know that Palbo and Fulvestrand doesn't work, you know. And, and then a lot of the clinical trials required um, required lesions that were measurable by resist standards which mm. typically bone mats aren't so 
that's a thing that I'm really mad about. And I know a lot of us are working on getting that change that, you know, uh, on one hand, they don't want you very sick. So, you know, two lines of tre- three lines of treatment. Ooh. Right. Um, on the other hand, we don't hand, want to take on that want, risk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the other hand, they want large measurable lesions, preferably on your liver. Right. <laughs> so it's like, uh, what do you want? Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, I had posted on Twitter about my heart attack and I got a like from a, from somebody that had MD in their name. And usually I look up what they're doing, you know, and I saw that he was the CEO of a company that has one of the trials Mm. um, that was interesting for me. So I actually texted him and I was like, you know, I, I see your drug and I see your trial and it's super interesting, but I can't get into it because I already had um, Palvo and Fovestrand and, you know, I'm not going back. Plus I'm excluded on it. And he's like, wait, we have this other arm of the trial. You can participate in that. That one is the Zenio or Abemacyclip. Mm-hmm. Um plus our drug and it's just one arm and you get that um you get that drug and i was like what <laughs> yeah tell me that again absolutely and so we're, we're in southern uh, in northern california and the closest trial was in orange county down down near la south of la and so i went down there and i did my evaluation and they're like yep you can start the trial and there was a little um discussion because i was they said you had to be on um palvo for six months and i was only on for five months and the same for picray but you know we knew him, we were on the phone with him between my UCSF oncologist and me, and we explained to him and he's like, yeah, I'll okay you for the trial. Oh, you know, good. it's good to be with a small company on the trial. Yes. So, um, and now I've been, I've been tolerating it extremely well, better than Pulbocyclip, um or Ibrans, much, much better than Picray, of course. And, um, and I've just had the scans and I'm now good for 10 months when I go back for the next round of scans. Amazing. So Amazing. this is actually the first drug that's actually working for me. And I, I still can't believe my luck <laughs> that, yeah. that I found this guy on Twitter. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think that goes to show why it's so important that we share our stories and that we not just advocate for ourselves, but put it out there about what we are going through because you never know how many people are benefiting from from that. Like how many people have read that post, maybe not liked it or engaged with it, but you're still helping because you're out there sharing what the yeah. ups and downs are. And, you yes. know, to be able to be connected to the medical profession, I find Twitter to be, as I said earlier, an outstanding resource for connecting with other people diagnosed with breast cancer, the medical professions, um, you know, wellness practitioners, like people who just want to share and help. It's been a really mm-hmm. um, powerful community. How can people find you on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle? <laughs> it's Zilke for Senate. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and if that I feel like there's a story. Weird. Yeah. What's the story behind that? 
It's because I actually ran for California Senate because it was a special election. And in our area, there was four or five crazy far-right Republicans running, but not a single Democrat. And I was super active in politics before I became metastatic. And so I was like, oh, what the hell? I just tossed my hat in, you know, I'm going to lose. But <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. And I have no idea how to change my handle. So that's why I'm <laughs> stuck with this. <laughs> I love that. Perfect. Well, we will definitely be sure to follow you. And I hope all of our listeners continue to follow us as well at SBC underscore ORG, which is our Twitter handle. Thank you, Zalka, again for joining us today and sharing and rehashing these lived experiences that are so important for our listeners to understand. Being diagnosed at stage two, dealing with a recurrence, navigating stage four, mets to the bones, a variety of treatments, plans, and eventually finding a clinical trial. There's ups, downs, joys, and all of the motions in between. So thank you again for being a part of our breast cancer community on Breast Cancer Conversations and survivingbreastcancer.org. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you would like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences, and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice you should always consult your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. Until next time, keep on thriving. <laughs>